We read the word of God together this afternoon in Proverbs chapter 6. My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth, thou art taken with the words of thy mouth, Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself. When thou art come into the hand of thy friend, go, humble thyself, and make sure thy friend. Give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter, and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. A naughty person, a wicked man, walketh with a froward mouth. He winketh with his eyes, he speaketh with his feet, he teacheth with his fingers. Frowardness is in his heart. He deviseth mischief continually, he soweth discord. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother, Bind them continually upon thine heart, and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life, to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals, and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth in to his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. Men do not despise a thief, if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. For jealousy is the rage of a man, Therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom, neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. 
The text that we consider this afternoon is verses 6 through 11. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we have been seeing in these sermons on the Proverbs, many of the Proverbs in Scripture teach us the way of wisdom in living out the Ten Commandments of our God as the redeemed of Jesus Christ. So God teaches us his commandments and his law, and in the Proverbs he teaches us the way of wisdom in obeying those commandments, in thankfulness. In many of the Proverbs, we see that God gave to Solomon, who wrote most of them, great wisdom to be able to perceive the spiritual lessons that God has embedded in the very creation, including the lesson about the ants that we consider this afternoon. And Solomon wrote down what he observed by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But Solomon wasn't the only one who wrote the Proverbs. God inspired another man named Agur in chapter 30 and also gave him wisdom to see the spiritual lesson about the ants. In Proverbs 30, verses 24 and 25, Agur writes, There be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. And the first of those four things that he mentions, the ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. But as we consider the little ants on the ground in the sermon today, We must also keep in mind the great creatures of the air that our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us to consider. Our Lord teaches us in Matthew 6 and Luke 12 that we must take no thought about our lives, about what we shall eat, what we shall drink, what clothing we shall put on. We must not be anxious about our daily bread, but rather... We should behold the birds of the air. We should consider the raven, he says, for they do not sow or reap or gather into barns, but your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? So as we consider the ants on the ground and we consider the birds of the air, considering them together, we find the way of wisdom for the child of God in this world. The wisdom of God is Trust in God to supply your needs as he feeds the birds and work hard and diligently like the ant. So let's consider together 
the text under the theme, Go to the Ant, Thou Sluggard. We're going to notice, first of all, the sleepy sluggard that is described in the text. Secondly, the hard-working ant. Finally, the threat of poverty. Solomon writes, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Again, in verse 9, he says, How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? We find that term sluggard in various places in Scripture, especially in the Proverbs. A sluggard is simply a person who is lazy, a person who does not want to work when he ought to be working, and who is habitually lazy. God teaches us in his law, in the fourth commandment, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. And from that commandment, we know that it is the will of God for us human beings that we work for six days every week, just as God himself worked for six days in the beginning, in the creation of the heavens and the earth. Working is not an optional thing for us, but it is the will of God for us, men and women, that we work six days a week. The sluggard is a person who doesn't want to work, a person who does not enjoy going to work, a person who prefers to do nothing or next to nothing, a person who would prefer to sit around and hang out all day with other sluggards. A sluggard is a person who prefers to sit on his phone all day, binge-watching videos and playing video games. A sluggard is a person who sits around smoking marijuana and drinking beer and not going to work as he ought to. A sluggard looks for every opportunity to avoid working because he doesn't want to work. So he looks for excuses of why he doesn't have to get up in the morning and go to work or while he is at work, how he can get out of work. The sluggard comes up with many excuses of why he can't work, sometimes very bizarre excuses. And the Proverbs brings that out as well. In Proverbs 20, verse 4, we find one excuse that a sluggard might bring forward. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg in harvest and have nothing. So the sluggard says, it's too cold to go out into the field today. I can't plow the ground. Another example is in Proverbs 26, verse 13 where we find how bizarre the excuses of the slothful man sometimes are. The slothful man saith, There is a lion in the way. A lion is in the streets. I can't get out of bed. I can't go to work because there's a lion roaming the streets. It's too dangerous. And so he multiplies excuses. Now we should be clear today that there's a difference between a sluggard, and a person who genuinely cannot work for one reason or another. There are such people. There are many such people who, for one reason or another, cannot work, whether temporarily or permanently. 
due to some debilitating disease, for example, like cancer, or some severely debilitating injury, like a car accident, or even a mental illness that temporarily or perhaps even permanently renders him incapable of doing the work others can do, whether schizophrenia or severe depression or something else. And then we all recognize that there are those who cannot work any longer because they have grown old. Solomon also speaks of the aging process in Ecclesiastes 12, where he speaks of the fact that when we grow old, the keepers of the house tremble, referring to our hands, and the grinders cease, referring to our teeth, and the windows of the body are darkened, referring to our eyesight, and fears of the soul multiply, and it becomes a burden even to lift a grasshopper. And he says, finally, the silver cord is broken, and man goes to his long home when he dies. When we reach old age, there are many things we can no longer do, and that does not make us a sluggard when we are not able to do that work anymore. But the sluggard is the person who is fully capable of working, who has the strength, the energy, and the ability to work, but because he doesn't want to work, he refuses to work, and he looks for clever ways to get out of it. Why is someone a sluggard? Well, it could be that he does not have any inward drive or ambition. It could be that he grew up in a very unstable home in which he had a father or a mother who was a sluggard who did not like to work either and who sat around all day doing the kinds of things we described earlier. That he didn't have a good example in his father or his mother. And so he has become a sluggard just as they were a sluggard. Or it could just simply be that a person throughout life has developed the habits of laziness. Little by little, bit by bit, he has chosen to play instead of work in his life. He likes to chit-chat with co-workers when he should be working. He likes to extend his break regularly, a few minutes, a few minutes more. He likes to sleep in, and he shows up late for work, so that gradually he becomes lazy. Then someone comes to him and says the words of the text, verse 9. Someone, maybe his wife, maybe his mother or father, or someone else says, How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Now there's another question that could be asked to some of us, perhaps. That question, which is the opposite question, is how long wilt thou work, O workaholic? There is such a thing as overworking. There is such a thing as working too much. There is such a thing as sleeping not enough. God, in the beginning, created the evening and the morning, the day and the night. He created the sun and the moon to regulate day and night so that we would work in the day and sleep at night. But there are some people who work more than they should and don't sleep as much as they should. 
When Solomon speaks about sleep in the text, he's not condemning sleep. And none of us should think that if we sleep a sufficient amount of hours in the night, that we're somehow to be ashamed of ourselves. We ought to sleep a sufficient amount of hours in the night. God gives us the darkness of the night so that we can lay down our heads on our pillows and rest and be refreshed and rejuvenated. Not only so that we can work hard the next day, but so that we can work well. And so we need to ask ourselves if we're making good use of the time to sleep. But that's not the question of the text. The question here is directed to the sluggard. And the question is, how long wilt thou sleep? When will you get up out of your bed? This is a man who tends to sleep more than he ought to sleep. He is sluggish in the morning. He is sluggish during the day, and he is sluggish at night. He sleeps in the night, and then he sleeps some more during the day. He sleeps so much that other people around him take notice of how sleepy he is and actually ask him how long he will sleep. I think of another one of God's creatures that displays this sleepiness, the cat. I think of the cat all day long, meandering through the fields and the barns, stretching its arms and legs and yawning and laying down for another nap. How long will you sleep, O sluggard? One of the other Proverbs, 26 verse 14, puts it this way, almost humorously, As the door turneth upon its hinges, so doth the slothful upon his bed. You think of the door turning back and forth on its hinges, and the proverb says, that's like the sluggard laying on his bed, turning back and forth as it were all day long. How long wilt thou sleep? The answer of the sluggard is also given in the text. That's how we have to understand verse 10. That's the sluggard responding to the question. The sluggard, sleepily, with a yawn and a stretch, says to the person, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. He's saying to the person, just give me a few more minutes, just a few more moments to sleep, please, and then I will get up. Something very similar is written later in Proverbs 24, verse 30. I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. What about us, beloved? Do we ever commit the sin of the sluggard in our lives? We saw that working is not an optional matter for us. God commands us, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. And here in our text, God is teaching us wisdom when it comes to obeying that commandment. I think that this is the kind of text 
that we who are most of us, if not all of us, middle class folk who consider ourselves diligent and hard-working people, we find it easy to spot the sin of laziness in others, but hard to see it in ourselves. Is that true? Seems to me that's true. Now, of course, as parents, we do have to teach our children not to be lazy. We do have to be able to spot laziness in other people as parents, particularly our children, so that when our children start developing habits of sleeping longer than they should or complaining about their chores and the work that they must do as parents, we have to recognize that for what it is. It's laziness. And we have to teach our children to work hard, to teach them that this life is for work. That's also true of us if we are business owners or employers. We have men or women who work for us. And if we notice that one of our employees is habitually late for work because he sleeps in, or habitually he extends his lunch break with a long nap, or he's simply looking for ways out of work, then as his boss, we probably will have to have a chat with him and try to figure out what's going on. Why are you doing these things? And if that employee simply will not listen to us day after day, yes, we may have to fire him. That's all true. But what about us? Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, Judge not, lest ye be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you meet, it will be meted unto you. So as we judge others, particularly as parents, our children, or as employers, our employees, then let us first judge ourselves. Let us take care to behold the beam of laziness in our own eyes before we try to pull out the speck of laziness in our brother's eyes. After all, do we always desire to get out of bed in the morning, to go to work, to get busy, to work hard all day? Do we always desire to labor six days a week, whether at our job or around our house or in some other way? Do we always cheerfully go to work, knowing that we do not serve man, We are not doing this to become rich, but we are working in service to God. Do we? Always? The desire of laziness can be found in our hearts too, can't it? The desire to be lazy. The desire not to work. The desire to get out of work. The desire to stay home. To extend our break to cut out of work before we are supposed to. So the wisdom of the text is not just for the people that we might have in our minds, as we heard the first point of the sermon, other people, but it's for us, each of us. And this is the wisdom of the text. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. 
So that word of God speaks to the sluggard in you and the sluggard in me. Go to the ant. The ant is an amazing creature that God created and designed so that it would be a spiritual lesson to us, embedded right in that little creature. Now, as we saw, God gave this wisdom also to Agur. In Proverbs 30, Agur pointed out that there are four things that are little upon the earth, and one of them is the ant. He calls the ant a little people, a people who are not strong. The ants are very little, aren't they? They are very tiny creatures. They are some of the smallest creatures on earth that we can still see with the naked eye. Of course, there are smaller creatures that we cannot see. But among the smallest of visible creatures in the earth, the ants are in that category. They are tiny, and they are not strong in comparison to us. They're not strong in comparison to many other creatures, like the lion that the sluggard says is supposedly walking down the street, or other animals. And yet, Agur says that the ants prepare their meat in the summer. Even though the ant is so tiny and so weak in comparison to us, the ant is actually very strong and very hard-working in proportion to us. The ant can reportedly carry up to 20 times its own weight. 20 times its own weight. So the ants are busily going about their work in the summertime when there was not as much food to be found in Israel. And they marched here and they marched there in their long lines looking for food. And they carried on their backs up to 20 times their weight back to the anthill to store up food for the whole colony in preparation for the coming winter. Now turning back to our text, Solomon points out something else about the ants. He says they have no guide or overseer or ruler and yet they provide meat in the summer and food in the harvest. The ants do not have a guide. They do have a queen. Some ant colonies have more than one queen, we're told. But what's very interesting is that modern science has confirmed what the Bible says here in our text. Modern scientists, in their observation of the ants, have discovered that although they have a queen, the queen does not rule in the ant colony. The ants rule themselves. The queen does certain things, and the queen is very important, but it does not manage or regulate all of the affairs of the worker ants as they go about their daily tasks. Evidently, the ants choose their own tasks based on their own preferences. They don't have any guide or ruler or overseer, and yet they go about their work day after day. The ants do not need a supervisor or a manager to watch over them 
to tell them in the morning when they get to work, okay, these are the tasks that you have to do today. This is where you have to go. This is the job site you have to go to. And I want you to be finished at this time with this job so you can move to that job. And all the managing and regulating that a manager does in human jobs. The ants don't need that. They don't need a boss, a foreman, to hold them accountable to do their work. They don't need an overseer to say, hey, why are you slacking off over there? Get back to work and get busy. And to hold them accountable and to threaten them with the termination of their job if they continue to be lazy. Do the ants need that? They don't. They're self-motivated. They're self-managing. They're self-regulating. God has created them that way. God has created these tiny creatures with the internal instinct to work and work and work, to be diligent day in and day out. And one of the amazing things is that God has also created them to work in tandem, in harmony with each other. You don't see the ants of a colony squabbling with each other. You don't see them arguing and fighting with each other. They work together. They all flow together, even without a leader. Somehow, they work as if they have one mind as they go here and there, searching for food, self-delegating responsibilities and tasks so that they provide food for their colony. Solomon points that out in verse 8. They provide their meat in the summer and gathereth their food in the harvest. So as we pointed out in the summertime, they're busy searching for food when there is not as much to be found. They're still busy. And then the rainy season comes in the land of Israel. And the ants find it very difficult as the water of the rain rushes over the land. But they ride it out until the time of the harvest. And when the harvest time comes and the humans are busy in the fields reaping the barley and the wheat so that tiny bits and pieces are falling all over the ground, the ants go after it with great diligence, searching, gathering, carrying huge amounts of food back to their colony to prepare for the coming winter. There we see a spiritual lesson in the strong, consistent, diligent work ethic of the ants. The wisdom of the text is, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Do we have less wisdom than this little creature that is not strong? Whenever we are lazy or slothful, we demonstrate that we have less wisdom than the ants, this tiny little insect that scurries around the face of the earth. God has given us the ant so that we would consider it, so that we would watch it and learn from it. And interestingly, you can find ants on every continent of the earth except Antarctica. In other words, wherever human beings live, you can find 
the ants. And if you remember from my Philippine mission presentation last fall, I showed you a video of ants in the Philippines. The ants there don't have a winter to kill them off. So there are huge, huge numbers of ants. And they find their way into our houses as well. We tend to think of the ants as pests when they get into our things. But God tells us rather to observe them and to learn. Go to the ant, consider her ways, and be wise. Have you ever actually done that? Have you gotten down on your hands and knees when you have seen a line of ants and just sat there for a little while watching them? Do that. That's what the text is calling us to do. It's very simple and very literal. Go, get on your hands and knees, and watch them for a few minutes. Take a little time out of your schedule and watch. Watch them carefully. In our day and age, when we need instant gratification, we need to slow down sometimes and observe the spiritual lessons in nature. Watch the ants for 15 minutes. Observe them. What do they do specifically? Watch as that little ant takes on its back a huge chunk of some kind of food and carries it back. And then, having watched them for a while, go back to work. And whenever you feel like sleeping in longer than you should, Whenever you feel like extending your break longer than your boss allows, whenever you feel like cutting out of work earlier than you're supposed to, whenever you just don't feel like working, then remember the ant that you watched. Remember him. Ponder his hard work. And let his example inspire you to get out of bed, to get dressed, to go to work, to punch the time clock, to set your hand to the plow or to the laundry, your hand to the keyboard and the wrench, and be wise. But don't just go to the ant. If you go to the ant and you consider her ways, then what you're going to find, first of all, is how lazy you are. That's what I'm going to find, too. Because none of us works as hard as the ants. And as you discover how lazy you are by observing the ants, then remember that laziness is a sin. God calls us to work six days diligently, and laziness is a sin. And as we observe the seemingly flawless work ethic of the ants, and we realize how much we fall short, then go to Jesus as well. Because as we consider the ants, our conscience should be struck and pricked by the sinfulness of our laziness, of how we waste God's time and energies and efforts and the time and energies of the man or person we work for. Go to Jesus, consider his ways, and be wise. 
in the gospel of salvation. Jesus came into this world to work, not to play. And if you read the gospels, you don't see a Jesus playing. You see a Jesus working, toiling with blood, sweat, and tears, literally, in the work of salvation that he came to accomplish. And not only did he come to work hard for you and for me, but he also came to take upon himself the penalty of our laziness, the punishment that we deserve for our laziness. Because that penalty is not just to be fired from our job, That penalty is to be destroyed forever. Jesus came to take that penalty upon himself. And on the cross, he toiled with the shedding of his blood to suffer that penalty of everlasting destruction. He was not only fired by mankind who rejected and despised him and wanted nothing to do with this hardest working of all persons who has ever stepped foot on the earth, but he was forsaken by God, his Father, because of our laziness. But in that way, he accomplished salvation fully and perfectly and completely and rose from the dead so that we might inherit the wealth of eternal life for free. And the call of the gospel that comes to us is not Work harder for your salvation. The call of the gospel is, look to Jesus for your salvation. He did the work for you, all of it. And through his work, through his toil, through his blood and suffering, he gives to you a free gift of unimaginably great and eternal riches and wealth. Free. And so you receive that gift by faith. And will we now be lazy and careless and profane because we know that we don't have to work hard for our salvation? Or, having learned the freeness of the riches of salvation in Jesus, do we now go back to work with renewed zeal to labor diligently knowing that we don't work for a particular person or other, but we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And we work in gratitude to him. Finally, Solomon teaches us wisdom through a warning. Often the Proverbs contain warnings. This particular text has a warning or a threat of poverty. When someone says to the sluggard, how long will you sleep? And the sluggard replies, just a little more sleep, just a little more slumber. And by that he reveals that he doesn't want to change his habits. He doesn't want to change his behavior. He doesn't have a recognition of his sin or a repentant heart. Then the warning that comes to him is, so shall thy poverty come as him that traveleth 
and thy thy want as an armed man. A traveling man in the text refers to a highway robber. And an armed man refers to any kind of enemy who has a weapon in his hand. So he's saying that your poverty is going to come upon you like a highway robber with a weapon attacking you. What does he mean? Well, you have to imagine yourself traveling down the road in Israel, perhaps from Jerusalem to Jericho, like the man in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And as you're traveling down the road, you carry in your hand a pouch with a lot of money. And that money is very important because it's your earnings from the merchandise that you produced and sold in Jerusalem. And now you're traveling back home with that pouch of money, and that's your livelihood. And as you're going down the road, a highway robber jumps out from behind the bushes. And he takes out a knife and sticks it to your throat. And he says, give me that pouch. And you hand it over to him. And then he takes a club and clobbers you over the head and leaves you on the ground and rushes off with your money and leaves you there broke in poverty. That's what he means. He means, sluggard, watch out. Your poverty will come upon you suddenly and swiftly and unexpectedly. And it will overwhelm you in an instant and leave you wondering what in the world just happened in my life. You'll be traveling along through life thinking everything will be just fine, that you can continue the way you're living. You don't have to work hard. Nothing bad will happen to you. And all of a sudden, your boss calls you into his office and you're fired. All of a sudden, you cannot pay your rent and you get evicted from your house. All of a sudden, you're homeless on the streets. You're broke. And because now you have to take out loans, you go into debt and you're hungry and you're poor. That's the warning. Proverbs 20, verse 13 says, Love not sleep. And again, that doesn't mean that we ought not to take the amount of sleep that we need. But it means don't love sleep more than you ought. Don't make an idol out of sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. Proverbs 19, verse 15 says, Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. And it should be said, too, in conclusion, that the church ought not to prevent the stubborn and impenitent sluggard from coming to ruin. Is it not the duty of the church, you might say, to give to the poor and the needy? Is it not the duty of the church to show the mercies of Christ to those in need, to make sure that they have their daily bread? It most certainly is. That's the whole purpose of the diaconate, to administer the mercies of Christ to those who are in need, first of all within the church and also outside of the church, 
as we have opportunity. Galatians 6 tells us to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. Be merciful. Be generous to the poor. Give to those in need. But that doesn't mean that the diaconate should give a continuous supply of money to a stubborn sluggard. I mean to a man who is lazy and who refuses to acknowledge it, refuses to repent, and refuses to make any attempts to change his life. He refuses to get a job. Don't you see that those then become cruel mercies? That becomes enabling of a person to continue in a sinful way, and you aren't really helping them then. The Apostle Paul confirms what the Proverbs say in First and Second Thessalonians. First Thessalonians four, eleven and twelve, he says that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. And in the second epistle, chapter three, verse ten. If any would not work, neither should he eat. By that, the apostle means that we, the church, should not enable a person to eat if he refuses to work. Now, that's a long process. That's not something that happens overnight. If there's a man who reveals blatant, gross sluggishness and laziness, and the deacon is throwing up his hands because he's not getting through to the person. And so the elders begin to talk to him, but he still will not listen. He hears the preaching from the pulpit, but he will not change. And he becomes hardened in his ways. You see the long process of discipline. In that process, you do help the person. You do give them their daily bread. But if that person eventually comes to the very end of that long road, he needs to be put out of the church. The church may not prevent him from coming to ruin and poverty. That is the end. That is the warning of the word of God to the stubborn and impenitent sluggard. And we have to see that that doing that is done in love and must be done in love. The very act ought to be done in love and in an attitude of love so that you desire the person to come to his senses, to be ashamed, to repent, and to walk in obedience. The word of God comes to us with warnings. Those warnings are not meant to discourage us. They're not meant to deflate us. But they're meant to encourage us to continue living the good life laboring with our hands, going to work day by day. God has given us a job. He has given us a farm. He has given us a store, a business. That's a great gift, something to be thankful for and to devote ourselves to. Ephesians 4, verse 28, Paul says, Let him that stole steal no more, but labor with his hands the thing that is good. 
not merely so that he will have enough for his family, but also so that he will have something to give to the poor. May this word of God encourage us and strengthen us as we go back to work tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Father, we give thanks to thee for thy word and the wisdom of it. We pray that thou would impress it upon our hearts and may it serve to encourage us in the work that thou dost give us to do, in the strength of our hands and minds and the ability to be motivated and to be busy. We pray that thou would bless the work of our hands and establish it. And may we labor for thy glory and honor and not our own. Forgive us, Father, when we are lazy, and keep us from that sin, and keep us to walk in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name we pray.